Hey Chris, uh, I recently uh, was at Monster Mania Con in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I picked up a what I believe to be a Horror Sanctum Studios, the Shape 08H2, and I was just wondering what the origins of this mask were, maybe what uh, what the sculpt originated from, was it ground up, or from an existing uh, existing piece. Uh, anyway, love the show, and thanks. That obviously comes into us from Daniel Parker, it's been a little... Long time uh, waiting to get this uh, voice memo in, but uh, before we jump into t- to today's Halloween 5 episode, I wanted to go ahead and uh, get this on here and answer this for him. <clears throat> Appreciate you asking the question. Um, it actually originated from the Shatner Lifecast uh, that a lot of sculpts uh, originate from, and it was uh, from that point it was... Uh, obviously tweaked and sculpted and put together by Sam McCain Horror Sanctum and uh yeah that's pretty much the uh the the history of it um i know it was a pretty big deal when it came out um there's been various uh versions not many of them made but various versions of like Kirk H1 and H2 masks so be curious to see which one that you got be great to see it post it up in the group in the collector section thanks You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. You crazy son of a bitch! Charlie! Charlie! Michael Myers is outside. Stay with the little girl. Please? And I'd like to welcome Dylan Cloud back to the show. Uh, Dylan, how's it going, man? Welcome back. It's going pretty good, Chris. Thanks for welcoming me back to the show. Right, good to have you. Uh, did you get any uh, type of feedback from uh, the Halloween 4 episode? All I heard was positive feedback. Cool. Like, like what, if you don't mind sharing? Most of just people saying they liked the show. They thought I did a pretty good uh, job, not to toot my own horn or anything, but they... Uh, there's really you know, all the same normal people, Tristan, Brandon, Matt, you know, all the guys that constantly watch the show. Um, and then just going through the comments that uh, for the episode link that you posted in the in the Facebook group, didn't see anything negative. No, it was uh, it was definitely uh, definitely good. And uh, you know, I think that you were a little too hard on yourself. Uh, like I know you and I were talking after the show dropped, and uh, you're saying. Oh. I hope I did good, but you did fantastic, man. I don't think that uh, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit on that. No, I appreciate it. No problem. Well, um, b- before we jump in today's episode, I just want to kind of let everybody know uh, what the schedule is coming for the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, the next episode I'm going to record with uh, Brandon Zachman, which uh, should be early next week. Um, you know, he had. Uh, you know, an unfortunate situation with his friend this week that that, that passed away, and I uh, just want to let him know that we're thinking of him, and uh, you know, a lot of thoughts and and, uh, and definitely things, you know, uh, going out to him, and uh, you know, so we're gonna give him a little time. He's uh, gonna try and link up with me next week, but we're gonna try to get that Halloween six episode 
out next week and then the following week uh he's going to be back with me and we're going to be doing the episode we're going to return to masks uh for a little while and just kind of give the series stuff a, a break and uh, we're going to talk the warlock on the next episode after the halloween six episode sounds good yeah definitely sending some good thoughts brandon's way he's a hell of a guy and then going through uh, a lot of undeserved shit lately Absolutely, and usually it comes in threes, so I hope that this is the last of what he has to experience, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so um, I sent you a link uh, once we knew that we were going to have you back for this on uh, the d- different information to break down uh, everything that was wrong with Halloween 5. Now you talk to random Halloween fans, and they'll tell you that Halloween 5, everything was wrong with it. But it also has a, like Halloween 6, has a cult following, has a, has a love from some people. I know you're, you're a big fan of it. Tell us why you're a big fan of it. Well, like I said in Halloween 4, um, you know, when I was a kid, I think I was six years old, my sister was terrified to watch horror movies and, and made me watch all of them with her. Jeepers Creepers, Freddy, Halloween, I remember especially. And then I remember ever since I saw that movie, I was like, oh, I want it on DVD. I need it on DVD. I want to watch it all the time. So... My parents got me four and five on the combo pack, and I would watch those once a month for, like, four years straight. So four and five were, like, to me, the best sequels for a long time until I, of course, saw the other ones. Um, And I'm going to get crucified for this. But I think the mask in Halloween 5 is one of my favorites. I think it's just scary looking as hell. It's intimidating. It looks angry. Um, Of course, they have... Don Shanks, who's like 30 fucking feet tall playing Michael, which continuity-wise makes no sense, but when I was a little kid, it was just scary as hell. Yeah, I I definitely, um, you know, I liked, I didn't dislike Halloween 5. I definitely definitely felt it was a step down from Halloween 4 uh, with the momentum that it had, but uh, it was definitely in uh, a darker tone, um, for sure, from Halloween 4. Uh, But... um, yeah, it from compared to Halloween four, it was definitely a step down. I don't hate it. Um, it's just if I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pick two or three Halloweens to watch, it's typically not on my list. But I will take Halloween five over both Rob Zombie films and the new 2018 any day. I would certainly agree with that, and uh, you know a lot of people have to understand that you know anytime you have a hit movie come out like Halloween four. They want to instantly cash in on it. Less than a year later, we had Halloween 5. Completely different director, a French director that it suffered even worse from sequelitis than Halloween 4 did. Everything had to be bigger, badder, bloodier, scarier, creepier, more gothic. And it definitely suffered from that. Too much too much comedy, you know, here and there with the two goofy cops. But, oh, God. You know, some people enjoyed those two. Yeah, I think if they would have taken that out... Um... And made and made them a little bit more serious. I mean, hey, we we got we got Hunt in Halloween two. We had uh, Charles Cyphers um, as Bracket in Halloween one. Then we had Ben Meeker in Halloween four. He does come back in five in a reduced role, but yeah. Then you go to the clown cops, and it's just like, why? You know, um, if if they would have taken those guys out and made it taken them a little bit more of a serious tone. Uh, with the police trying to hunt him down, um, I probably would have ranked this a little higher. 
But uh, Loomis is definitely off his fucking rails in this movie. And uh, that's the one thing that I kept coming back to when I was researching this for this episode was just how batshit crazy he, he was in this movie. Oh, yeah. He, uh, Donald Pleasance in this movie kind of reminds me of him in H2 right after, like, right at the beginning of the movie when he's like, I shot him six times. He's not human. Like, just that level of, of sparked insanity. And he kind of just had that during the whole movie. Like, he's just absolutely lost his fucking mind. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, it wasn't the most uh, successful uh, at the box office. I think it uh, was around $11.4 million, uh, which is not not great. Um, so, but their, but their budget was only, uh, it was less than 5 million. It was, I think between one and two. Um, it varies from different sites I was looking at, but, uh, yeah, it just definitely was not the hit Halloween four was, uh, where Halloween four was number one, uh, two weeks in a row. And, um, this one, I mean, the story is all over the place. You, you're picking up on that huge cliffhanger to see how it's going to pay off in Halloween five. And uh, I'm not sure how you felt, but I I really felt that uh, they didn't have to go with her as the killer in part five. But I really felt like with the with what they left us with, part five failed to deliver any type of a resolution to that whole thing. Yeah, I'd certainly agree. It's kind of like the end of Friday part five where, you know, you think, oh, maybe Tommy's going to be the killer and then it doesn't happen. But they had actually planned to go with that. Yep. Halloween 4 had never actually planned, and uh, Malik Akkad had said this on numerous occasions, that they had never intended for Jamie to be the killer in subsequent movies, despite what Daniel Harris was you know, under the impression of. But I think that would have been interesting to see, but like they just completely retconned it, made almost no mention of it other than like that flashback scene, But you know, and then that's it. Like There's no more of of her running around stabbing people under his control. I don't know. I think it would have been interesting to see, but yeah, it was also like, uh, you know, I, I guess I felt at the end of four that, uh, that the mom was killed, but there's light mentioned. You have to really listen for it in part five, where they mentioned that, uh, Rachel's, uh, parents are, somewhere that she's going to go join them or something for the weekend. I'm like, wait a minute. I I thought she was dead, but apparently not. Apparently she lived. Um, and then, you know, you had Loomis getting all crazy up in her face. He goes, what about your stepmother, Jamie? He made you stab her. You know, I was just like, Jesus, dude. She's, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, no mention that he stabbed her to death, just that he stabbed her. So it's like, I'm assuming she lived, but there really wasn't, um, I don't know. I mean, it was Rachel's uh, birth parents. You think that Rachel would have been maybe a little more apprehensive to be around Jamie after she stabbed her mother almost to death? You know, it's just, I don't know. It, like, the whole thing was, was, was very odd, the way it was handled. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, the, the Hispanic nurse in the beginning says, Jamie, do you want me to call your mom? Which, of course, I don't know why she would have said that. Only made her go into a further panic attack. But, yeah, now that you mention that, I never really thought that maybe Rachel would want to stay away from this child who, like, straight up tried to kill her mom. Like, yeah. no apprehension. I feel like she felt worse for Jamie about the stabbing than her mother. Exactly. And that's kind of like I, I felt like the 
the sympathy was, uh, I guess, misplaced um, from a story perspective. Uh, just my opinion. I mean, you know, we're looking at everything 30 years later, and it's hard to believe it's been 30 years this year that it came out. But, yeah, we're looking at everything with uh, rose-colored hindsight 2020, per, 2020 vision. Um, but... I don't know. I always look at certain things and just say, okay, well, if there's a reason why you're doing something, um, it'll eventually play itself out either later on or through a sequel or something like that, which will cover the man in black. Um, you know, but there was a lot of things that happened throughout this film that just either there was never a payoff for it. There wasn't really a reason for it. And even the director even has said that they didn't even know, certain things they were kind of writing as they were going and I'm like how do you get a project greenlit and a budget attached and distribution and all this stuff when you don't even have a a solid script you know it just doesn't make any sense to me so I think if if they would have taken their time and really flushed out all the things that Halloween 4 set up um Halloween 5 could have been a much different film much better film Absolutely, and that uh, that four, five, and six documentary I wrote, I mentioned in the previous episode, I watched that, and they just talk about how it was just utter cl- uh, chaos, clusterfuck on set. They're changing stuff constantly, reshooting, you know, just editing that movie thing like a task in and of itself, just trying to piece this thing together. You know, again, you get a French filmmaker, you know, putting his twist. I think he even admitted that he didn't watch any of the previous films to make it because he didn't want to be influenced at all. But, you know, when you're in the fifth installment of the franchise, that's kind of your ground rule. And, yeah. if, you know, as far as I'm getting a budget attached to it, you know, when the previous movie did so well, they'll greenlight any fucking thing if it's got that Halloween name attached to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, what I always found kind of funny was when, um, you know, there was an interview with uh, Dominique Othenen Gerard, and say that five times fast, um, he... Um, where he was saying that, yeah, you know, we're very close to the original tone of the first film. I'm going, no, not even a little bit. Yeah, you had the breathing, you had the -the over-the-shoulder shots, you had these little things like that. But as far as look and feel and style, no. It was, you were very far from the tone of the original film. Another thing that bothered me is the breathing, because in one and two, it's very, like, if you ever worn a latex mask and tried to recreate that breathing, that is breathing from your nose. Mm-hmm. In Halloween 5, it sounds like he's breathing through his mouth because his nose is clogged up. It's like, nah, nah. <sighs> and it's just really, it's not even close. And I, and it's not difficult to recreate that because they did it for 1 and 2, and it was not the same person doing it. I don't know, that breathing just, it was very obviously through his mouth, and it was just, I don't know, like a dog panting. Personally, I... Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. Like uh, in the first one, it was almost like uh, it was this raspy vibration type breathing almost through a latex mask. Whereas this one felt like he was breathing in a mask with a microphone on him in a deep hallway uh, that just echoed everything. It was so deep. Uh, I some people are going to probably crucify me for this, but. I find that the Halloween 6 breathing noise is a little bit more true to what it sounds like in an actual latex mask that's a little thicker and and sits up a little tighter because it's that little, 
you know, noise. And it's like, that's what I liked about the Halloween six breathing. It's like, it sounded a little bit, it wasn't as menacing. I'll definitely say that. But, uh, as far as realism, I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty true. Um, Halloween five was, you were trying to capitalize on that, but man, it, it sounded, it sounded really odd. Yeah. And you know, they're just trying to, at this point, they were just trying to just shit out a movie to make money. They didn't care about the story. You know, they didn't really have many people outside of the actors from the first film on this one, different writer, different composer, different director. Cause you know, the Halloween four director wanted to do it, but he was tied up in another project at the time. They should have waited. Should have waited another year. Cause you know, look how much time passed between, you know, two and then, uh, four and then between five and six, you know, when you make people wait, they're going to be more eager to go see it. Wow. Yeah, I, I definitely would have to agree with you on that. Um, yeah, if I were, if I were them, I would have waited for Alan B. McElroy and, uh, and, uh, definitely, uh, Dwight Little to be free. Would have made for a fantastic movie. Maybe they could even went and done six too, and then we who knows how that would have turned out. Absolutely. Um, all right. So moving on, let's. Uh, I think we've uh, talked about what we like and dislike about Halloween Five, and uh, let's go ahead and jump into some of the continuity and movie mistakes that we have found and that we have grown to love over the years. So, of course, the big one is the beginning of five is right after four, where he gets blown out of the mine shaft and rides down the river. And, you know, in the course of doing so, you know, you might be remiss in seeing one. He's floating in the water. Okay, the mask looks about the same. You know, uh, it's a very different mask, very different coveralls. He's six inches taller. So, of course, Michael looks nothing like he does from the previous movie, although he's supposed to be wearing the exact same attire. Yep, I definitely noticed that. And then not so much the size and, like, growing up when I first watched it years ago, um, I, I didn't really notice that, uh, but I definitely noticed the mask was different. Um, of course, Michael's house is just, you know, it's like a standard two-story normal house, which even comes back in Resurrection. But this house is like a, a Victorian-style goth mansion that resembled nothing of the original house. And then... Even going back to six, when they were still shooting in Salt Lake City, Utah, could find a house that was at least very similar to the original. So that was just blatantly not right at all. Yeah, that always, I mean, that was one of the things that bothered me more than anything, was was the house. Um, There's a couple of the nitpicky ones, like audio and visual stuff not being synchronized. So like when Tina's um, saying, talking to Michael in the car who thinks she thinks is her boyfriend, Michael, which is a kind of a convenient way to write this movie, but says nothing, Mike, that's what I get. Nothing. Her, her lips are pretty obviously out of sync. Um, when the man in black is coming and certain times he's walking around, you can hear his little spurs jingling. Even if he's not wearing them, uh-huh. um, Michael is chasing Jamie and Billy in the car. Tina yells Jamie, but we hear Billy come out of her mouth. <laughs> Uh, um, ADR. I'm telling you. <laughs> she yells Jamie when Michael crashes into the tree, but her mouth is closed. 
um, in the barn scene when Sam is coming at Michael with the pitchfork. She's like, you son of a bitch, but her mouth is closed as well. Um, when Rachel and Tina are giving Jamie uh, the costume at the clinic, Rachel starts laughing a little bit, and Tina starts to mimic playing the trumpet, but then uh, a loud scream is heard, yet neither one of them was screaming. So I guess when the brick comes through the window? Yep. I don't know. Maybe that could have just been somebody outside who was throwing the brick. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Again, I mean, it, it was it was all set up and everything uh, to remind us that people in the town now think that she's evil. But outside of, like, the exposition on that, it's like, again, like, we've already talked about it, but it just felt like the whole thing was dropped. And it was like everybody felt sympathy for this girl versus, hey, we got to watch her because she's a psychopath. Yeah, I would expect that there's people throwing bricks through the window and saying she needs to die. I would expect, like, a mob of protesters with pitchforks and torches to be standing outside the clinic at all times. Yep, I 100% agree. Or, like, have a cop around her since people are, like, wanting this girl dead, maybe give her a little bit of security. No, we're not going to mention it. All right. Yep. Um, This one's a little bit more nitpicky, but it says, you know, all the characters in the movie talk about Jamie's foster mama's her stepmother, which is, of course, the wrong terminology. Right. Again, who gives a fuck? We understand. It's not her actual mom. You notice you know some of these really nitpicky things I'm not even commenting on. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving along. This one right here really pissed me off. It's because when Meeker and, and Loomis are talking in the police station, um, he says, my memory goes back 12 years, although it's 11 continuity-wise. But, you know, how many times have you told a story in real life and, and, and just misjudged it by a year or two or rounded up or rounded down? Or, you know, as your next birthday begins to approach, you know, if you're 34 going on 35, you start to call yourself 35 before it happens. So I think him being a year off, he's a 70-year-old man who's been through some shit. I don't think he has to be down to the second on how he remembers it happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I misjudge uh, time frames on pretty much every podcast, and I get uh, PMs about it. Like, hey, no, that didn't happen then. Oh, yeah, sorry, I fucked up. Happens all the time. I, I, I never really took that as too much, but when, I'm, when all these movie mistakes started really being pointed out, you know, you take the Michael M. Myers from Halloween 4, and then you add this, and it's like, come on, guys, you know. I mean, you have you have a history that you can go back and watch that is clearly laid out for you that you can use that to write your scripts. It's not rocket science. Just sit down with a little legal pad, make a few notes. When you're writing out your dialogue, go back to your notes and say, oh yeah, when was that again? And when's this? Okay, we're, we're pretending this is only one year forward. Okay, great. So that would be 11 years. Easy fix. 78 to 89 you know, 11 years. Easy math. And even if Loomis had made that mistake, even if it was not in the script, could have taken the, you know, the extra take on that one, you know, it wouldn't have been that hard, but I, I guess it was. Yeah, maybe maybe that, that take with the mistake was the best take out of everything that they did, and they just said, fuck, we'll just live with the mistake. And that 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 does happen a lot. I mean, I've done it before where I'm like, 
man, I really liked the way they uh, said this line better over here, but the performance is better over here, so I'm going to take this one, even though I don't like the dialogue as much, you know. But sometimes, you know, you choose performance over dialogue, and maybe that's what they did in this sense. Who knows? Well, not have been the wiser. Um, this one is one that kind of plays what we were just talking about, you know. So Jamie kills her mom, or attempts to anyway, at the end of four, and you hear that loud screaming before she's at the top of the stairs. But when they recreate that scene in more detail later, you know, there's more stabbing and more yelling and her yelling Jamie, which, of course, no matter what she's saying, they would have heard it downstairs. So they added a little bit of extra in there that if they had just recalled the film they made a year ago, wouldn't have happened. You know, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's certainly... If you're recreating something that just happened, I think you could have avoided making that simple mistake. Yeah, and um, how I always justify that, and this is, you know, this this could probably help a lot of people uh, if it bothers somebody that's listening to this. This could probably help you get through it because it's helped me get through it. Is I always took okay, well maybe that stuff that they're recreating actually did happen, but because the Halloween four director and producers who are wanting to get us to the cliffhanger. Maybe they jumped over that sequence and just jumped us to the big reveal with her. So that's how I've always justified it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm trying to make too many excuses for it. I don't know, but that's, that's how I always try to figure out ways. Hey, how could I pretend or how can I, put myself in a different mindset so I that that's not so jarring if that makes sense yeah and I've always I don't, and I don't really know the answer to this for sure but I've always wondered did they you know that footage was it shot before and then not used obviously or did they shoot yeah that, or did they shoot that extra stuff during the shooting of five I've always wondered that no they they definitely they definitely shot that um, on four which is probably because it was extra footage that's that's definitely why they used it because uh, the actress that played the mom wasn't even back for five. So th- to to sign her on just to shoot some additional footage would have been pointless, you know. So um, I, I'm I would be willing to ninety nine point nine percent bet that that was unused footage from four. Yeah, right. That makes sense. It looks pretty damn similar. Which I guess would be too hard to match someone a year later. But let's see. Um, I never really noticed this, and um, I guess it happened. It says when the cop at the clinic is um, radioing back to Meeker, he calls him Sergeant Meeker, but, you know, of course, he's the sheriff. And, you know, that, that you know, again, could have been just a quick mistake, but also, you know, before he was a sheriff, he could have attained the rank of sergeant, which, you know, the cop might have just mistakenly thrown out, you know, these things do happen in real life. But I never noticed that. I never did either. I have to go back and watch that. So now I'm, I'm speaking. Now I'm of, questioning. Speaking of which, I mean, I, I say this pretty much every week since we've been doing these type of episodes. But um, I say, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. Like, yeah, going back after knowing some of the stuff that we talk about that we didn't, maybe that we didn't pick up on, and going back with that knowledge from the podcast and going back and watching stuff. Yeah, they stand out like a sore thumb now, and it's like, wow, you know, until that was pointed out, I had no idea. So when it comes to Halloween 5, especially with like the audio things, I certainly noticed them all growing up. Like the thing with Sam in the barn and all the things Tina messed up. 
I always certainly notice those. Yeah. Um, speaking, of, speaking of Sam, man, she was, man, was she smoking back then. Oh, yeah, kind of like uh, Kathleen Kinmont in 4, and neither one of them really, like, got older, like, in aged greatly. But, you know, they look okay to be 30 years older now. Yeah. But that devil costume, certainly, and then Tina and the French mating, that was, that was, that was, that was very nice to watch. For sure. I agree. When, let's see, another time when the cop the clinic radios to Meeker, he calls him Dr. Meeker, what's your 20? I never noticed that either. I didn't either. That, that would have stood out to me. I'm willing to question this one. I'm going to call BS on that one. I'm going to go back and watch now. Do you, did they happen to say like when or where it was? Um, this one, uh, this one says for for the one where he says Sergeant Meeker says at about the forty-four minute mark. Um, this the one that says Doctor Meeker doesn't give a timestamp for that one. Maybe by the time I put this out there, I'll have a clip from that and try to throw it in there, and then we can officially either call BS on it or not. I'm interested in that one now. Um, and this one I didn't notice either, but it says when Sam is with Spitz and Barn, they she removes her gloves twice. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if it's meant to be in like at the same sequence or like earlier and then again. Huh. Because she's wearing two gloves. I don't know if that's what they meant. Could no, be. I gotta watch that. Well, it it also is cold. You know, maybe she was doubled up. You never know, man. I always double up when I'm going to have sex in a barn. What? <laughs> when uh, Jamie climbs into the laundry chute, uh, her right shoe falls off, but then when she's out of it, it later is back on her foot. Some Jedi mind tricks. As far as that laundry chute, actually, a lot of people don't know, they were shooting that in a real laundry chute. Well, not in a real laundry chute, but he was stabbing through that thing with a real knife. And yeah. uh, Daenerys was in, in danger several times of actually being stabbed. And she actually was, from what I understand, like, or at least sliced or something. Uh, I don't know if she was cut, but I know originally they were going to have where Michael stabbed into, into her leg. That's right. Um, That's what it was. Stabbed her in the leg. That's why when she gets out of the laundry chute, she's limping and there's blood on her leg. Yeah. But they cut the scene and then didn't reshoot her getting out of the chute. And... Daniel says she kept that fake leg for years and then gave it to somebody and then they lost it. Yep. Which is kind of shitty. I'm sure someone would love to have that prop now. You see, uh, when uh, the cop is shooting at Michael upstairs, it says there's a bullet hole in the door before he actually starts to shoot. Well, you know. Again, never noticed that, but also in the same vein as that, um, he's firing a revolver. And you can count about 10 shots being fired out of that gun by the time he's done shooting. Yep. I noticed that too. Must have been the, must have been the same magic revolver that Lumis had at the beginning at H2. Agreed. Um, when Jamie writes, he's coming on the chalkboard in the beginning of the movie, um, Loomis is later berating her, going crazy, telling her to write, write, write. Yeah, she never really writes on the chalkboard again, and you never see that message again. So, you know, makes you wonder, did anyone else see that? Or did anyone really notice that she had written that? 
because she was convulsing at the beginning of the movie, so they might have blown right by that. Yeah. This one says, in the beginning of the movie, Jamie has two bloody marks on both sides of her cheek, which disappear in the next shot, but there's no time frame on that one, so I'm not exactly sure what they're talking about, because she wasn't really bloody in the beginning of the movie. When Tina, Sammy, and Spitz go into the barn to play with the kitties, uh, Tina's hair is in a high ponytail, but in the next shot, um, as she goes under the rails, her hair is down. As she was getting ready for the Halloween party, her hair was high in the bun. I mean, fuck's sake, you could have taken it down. And then put it back up, and then taking it back down, and then put it back up again. I mean, chicks do that all the time. I mean, shit, I do that at least 12 times a day. Me too. I mean, it, it doesn't go into the actual tail, but I at least I try. Um, one thing that's always kind of bothered me that someone had pointed out, Spitz is wearing the exact same kind of mask that Michael is wearing, like, completely identical. And this is supposed to be the same one from the, first, from the previous movie, so how did Spitz get an identical mask to Michael that Michael technically shouldn't even actually have. Well, Vincent and Drugs, you know, they, they have the best costumes in the entire town. Better to go there than go get some Dairy Queen. That's right. Double scoops. Double scoops. See, when the cops leave Meyer's house to go towards the clinic... Uh, the two patrol cars that are beside the SWAT team drive off twice. Uh, I mean, that could have just been an extra angle, but there also could have been more than one SWAT van. I'd have more than one SWAT van to take this motherfucker down. Yeah, that's that's what I've always taken it as, is they, they had multiple, multiple vans, because, I mean, even the trailers all said, you know, uh, Michael's alive, and this time they're they're ready. So I always took... I always took it as they, they had motherfuckers everywhere waiting for him. And that's that's what I laugh at in the new, not, not to sidebar, but in the new 2018 movie is, uh, I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, is how um, they had one cop basically through the entire movie, and it was, uh, I, I forget his real name, but it was uh, the one that we constantly see that ends up getting it from the doctor towards the end, but he was like, he was the only one that was called out to the, the escape uh, mental patient from the bus. He was the only cop that responded to the, the babysitter house massacre. He was the only cop to go get, uh, um, gosh, I'm starting to block this movie out of my mind. So I can't, I can't remember everybody's name. Uh, the doctor that turned evil. Uh, I, I'm just going to call him Dr. Evil. Um, you know, he was the only cop to go get him. He was the only cop to interact with Lori. Then he was the only cop to go get the the granddaughter. And it's just like, is there any other cops in this town besides this guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you have an escape, uh, escape uh, mental, you know, escaped convicts basically getting out on this bus in the middle of nowhere, the state police, the troopers and the town's cops would all be there investigating with tape everywhere, trying to figure this out. But nope, he's the only one to go investigate. Yeah. And and, and he spends the rest of the movie going after Michael who went to clean up the rest of the other patients. Was Michael the only murderer on that bus? I guess so. Like, were the rest of them just, like, schizophrenic and Michael was the only violent patient? I guess so, because that was the only one that they were worried about capturing. 
I mean, I get having people in a small town, but for fuck's sake, you ought to have at least four or five man cops and yep. not make your most senior fucking cop go after this guy. Yep. But I guess that's just the laws of horror movies. If you're about to retire, you've got to die. That's right. Um, right. This one's a bit, like a, it's, it's kind of convoluted, but it says when they're outside of the quick food and Spitz and all of them are there and Mikey's cleaning up that sexy black Camaro, he's wearing, you know, some round sunglasses and then Tina scares him with that uh, brute mask that Mike would later wear in the movie. He grabs it, throws it in the back seat, and then uh, he's still wearing the sunglasses. There is a jump cut to like a POV shot of him on the opposite side of the car, but then Mike is no longer wearing his glasses. And then he gets in the driver's seat, grabs the sunglasses from the back seat, where he tosses the mask, puts them on the dashboard. So there's a whole lot going on. I don't really get what their point is. Like, his glasses were on when they shouldn't be, or they were off when they shouldn't be. I don't know. I I think it's just, like, a continuity thing. Like, you know, it's inconsistent. That's that's the way I take that. Now, that does make me wonder, is if he threw the mask in the back seat, when Michael Myers is driving later, he pulls it from, like, in the front of floorboards. So, unless it just got moved, but, yeah. you know, Mikey immediately pulls uh, around the back and gets the old uh, the garden trowel to the face, or whatever you call that thing. And, uh, you know, so he never had time to move it, so the, the mask is technically in the wrong spot later. Yeah, I always took that as so much time has passed. The mask could be anywhere. I just wonder, did Michael like plan that from the beginning? Because if that brute mask wasn't in there, then what would he have done as far as trying to kidnap Tina? Like she would have instantly known that. And also, Mike, like the actor, was a really short dude, like that played her boyfriend. So how could she just not tell that this big ass motherfucker was not her boyfriend? Well, the character of Tina Williams didn't, to me, come off as very bright. So, maybe there's something there. Yeah, she's definitely kind of dumb. I agree. But, you know, you always got to have those kind of, of hot, dumb female characters, I guess, in those 80s slasher movies. Oh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have kicked her out of my bed, for sure. But she just would have had to talk a whole lot less. Oh, good lord. I mean, they make devices for that, though. For sure. She definitely would have had to have worn that, for sure. Uh, this one, I don't even know what it's saying, but it just says rear view mirror inside Mikey's car during the farm chase. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, because Don Shanks was actually wearing the mask the whole time he was driving the car. I don't know, like, if that's supposed to reveal anything, or, like, was that car not supposed to have a rear view mirror? I don't know what they're mentioning there. Yeah... Um, that's something that we're going to have to look up. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Don Shanks actually had kind of advocated for all these various farm tools to be used as he grew up on a farm. So, you know, he uses a mowing scythe and the, and the, and the gardening thing he puts in my face and pitchforks, a lot of, a lot of gardening tools. Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of cool because it was different. Um, you could definitely tell that they were trying to get him away from just using a butcher knife all the time. 
And uh, if you watch the Horus Hallograms with Sean Clark and Don Shanks and him go over the various locations, they go to the park where they had shot the opening, and he says the original plan was to have him blown out of, like, that mine shaft that was on top of the cliff and, like, him be on fire just falling, like, 60 feet into the water, but he didn't want to do that. That would have been a cool stunt. Um, let's see here. I have to say, Don Shanks probably... Kind of like Kane Hodder's Jason put a lot into being like like went full force into it and tried really hard. Yeah, he gets a lot of a lot of shit as being like a bad Myers, but one of the things I I will say is I don't always necessarily hold the actors liable for like for instance. Now some people are probably gonna go, oh, I can't believe he said this. Everyone trashes George Clooney as Batman. All right. How much of that was Joel Schumacher's just shit direction and shit script that made George Clooney that much worse as Batman? If Tim Burton had directed him and wrote that script, do you think we'd still be saying the same thing about George Clooney? Probably not. So if we had, say, Carpenter, Dwight Little, um, Rosenthal, even David Gordon Green directing Don Shanks' as Myers, would we have had that same feeling? Probably not. Cause I'm going to get hated for this, but he did a lot better than Warlock. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, to me, it's hard, it's hard to compare the apples and oranges part of it to that because... I would I would like to see Shanks and Warlock under the same director to be able to um, compare them equally. You know, when you got one that was direct by a French lunatic uh, versus somebody that directs a lot of bad sequels, and Rick Rosenthal, yes, you know, he had Carpenter in his corner. We saw what Rosenthal does without John Carpenter micromanaging him by watching Resurrection, um, but still, I still think that's a little unfair to even try to put them in the same comparison, because it's just, it's you're comparing apples to oranges at that point. Yeah, that's true. I think when you have a big, imposing physical, like, stunt guy, you know, leaving any, behind any slasher in these movies, you're going to get a great performance just because they're willing to kind of go, like, balls to the walls with it, you know? Unless you're Chris Duran. Unless you're Chris Duran. <laughs> and then when uh, the car exploded, they were so excited that the stunt went off well that they took, like, a scary amount of time to tell Don Shanks, oh, shit, come on, get out of this burning vehicle. Yeah, get the fuck out. You're about to burn up. Yeah, that's that's always been a funny story. He always said, you know, you're taught as an actor, you don't stop until the director says cut. He's like, the cabin was filling up with snow, the fire was coming under the firewall. He's like, uh-oh, might die here. Yep. All right, let's see. When uh, Jason, Jamie, and Billy in the car, Michael's position while driving changes between the driver's seat and the passenger seat. Um... This is the DVD commentary shows that this is because the shot was filmed with the car being driven towards a mirror. Hmm. Okay. What? That's confusing. I don't understand. 
Because yes. they actually shot it in the field, and he was actually driving behind Daniel Harris, and she said at, like, several instances she almost got ran over. It could have been insert shots or anything like that. I mean, inserts happen, cutaways. I'm assuming this is the shots where he, like, you're just looking in front, as the car is coming at you, I guess, is what they're referring to. I never Probably. noticed that. Yeah. It's got to go on the checklist, too. Uh, during that same car chase um, where Mike was after Jamie and Billy, the uh, Camaro switches between its headlights and fog lights between cuts. Oh, that's funny. Well, I'm, um, going, I mean, shit, if I'm trying to move down some kids, I'm going to want the best visibility possible. Going back to the uh, the driver seat switching positions uh, when the car's coming at you, yes, I'm actually looking at it right now. Uh, what it looks to me is in order to keep in, in, in filmmaking, some people may know this, some people may not. Um, you're given certain blocking so that when the camera is looking a, a particular way, and say a, a character is talking to another character off screen, you want their eye line and everything to match when you do the cuts. Um, and again, I... I'm bringing this up again because this is one thing that just drove me insane about the new movie was Allison and Lori's eye line um, and their conversation uh, near the football field outside didn't match. Like Lori was looking one direction. Allison was looking a different. It was very jarring, you know, and whereas Allison's uh, perspective, her shot looked like it was a, almost like a PSA commercial and Lori's looked like it was a setup shot for her to look one direction and just their eye lines didn't match. Obviously that was an insert shot. So back to Halloween five, that shot looks to me like it was a reverse shot. Like they had to flip it, uh, flip the, flip the position of the screen so that the car appeared more justified to one side. It's what I'm looking at right now. So that when he makes a turn towards Tina and they cut back to Tina, the car's going in the direction of her. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, again, never been a filmmaker, never known other stuff. So feel a little bad judging all these mistakes. But, you know, it's going to happen. you got to use these little, these little tricks and tidbits to get things to line up visually the way you want them to be on the final cut of the film. Sure, and I, I've been in positions before too, and, and, and again, nothing that I'm saying could be 100% accurate, I'm just giving a different perspective on, from a filmmaker's side, what could have happened, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, I was, I was 11 years old at the time, or according to Dr. Loomis, I was 12, because so, <laughs> I was born in 78, but uh, um, a lot of times when you get to the editing room floor, you either figure out that you shot too much, or you didn't shoot enough. And if you didn't shoot enough, you're in trouble. But obviously these were insert shots where they didn't need any of the other actors around. These are just inserts of the car. I'm I'm willing to bet money on it that they, they shot it with a second unit B-roll team. Dominique Othenin-Gerard probably was not even there. Uh, and even if he was, doesn't matter. Because... What could have happened is like, hey, I want to get this shot. This is what I want to see, blah, 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 blah. So they go and they get all these various angles of the car driving to cut back 
to that car driving from the point of view shot of him chasing Tina or Jamie or Billy or whoever. So what probably happened is once they got all this B-roll footage in of the second unit stuff, editor sat down and said, oh, shit, the car's moving the wrong direction on all the B-roll insert shots that I have. It's not going to match up. Like if he's turning left, we're, we're looking at the POV shot of him turning left in the field after Tina and the shot of the cars turning right. Well, that's going to look very jarring you know, when you cut that together. So what they probably did is in the B-roll insert shot is just flip the flip the screen so that the car, instead of turning right, is actually turning left, which would have put him on the opposite side. That That's obviously a flipped screen. So that, that would be, that would be my guess is the reason why they did it. Yeah, I guess it'd be it's less confusing for the audience for him to be on the wrong side of the vehicle driving as opposed to the car going the wrong direction. Yeah, because we we'd be beating that shit to death if it was the other way. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad I don't make movies for a living. Let's see what else we got here. When Mike is parking his car outside the store where Spitz works, we can see lighting equipment hanging over the car, reflecting off of its clean, uh, shiny surface. Yeah, yeah, I always noticed somebody, that. Let's see. On to the on the camera reflection stuff. Or um, when Michael is chasing Jamie and Tina and Billy in the car before he crashes into the tree, you can see the camera in the back seat of the car. And I think I have actually noticed that one before. Yeah, I have too. Um, so the cameraman is visible in the car mirror as Mike is waxing it. I don't know if I noticed that one, but I I, I believe you. I I do too. I, and then you can see a, a cam- camera light to the right in the beginning when the clinic is shown during the day, I guess when Loomis and uh, Rachel are coming out. Yeah, probably. Um, and then, of course, this is mentioning again how they're wearing the wrong thing on their police uniform. going to blow right by that because that's just really nitpicky. Hey, at least it was continuity from the last one. Yeah, that's one thing they maintain. If you're going to do it wrong, do it right. Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, this one is always, I think, kind of funny. Like the scene when Michael's sitting in the jail cell playing with the chains. They let him keep his mask on. <laughs> well, you know. Eh. <laughs> Which I never really thought about that until now. But yeah, that's kind of weird. Why would you let him keep it on? I don't know. In case they had to do a lineup and say, hey, did you see this guy? Um was this the guy that you saw? Was this the guy that tried to attack you? I, I don't know. Um, and then this is when Michael and Tina are driving the car, and she's like, I want to pack a goddamn cigarette. And he slams on the on the brakes. It says that there's no brake lights or reverse lights. But I don't They're know. The 68 Camaro, like, well, they were broken, but the 68 Camaros even have reverse lights? Yeah, yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, who knows what Michael can do with his things? Throwing bodies in and out of the trunks and shit and driving all about town. I'm sure he's fucking broken. Um, even though there was a lot of like issues and different things like that we've already talked about, like lip sync issues and the body size issues and stuff. I don't know about you, but I always felt like, you know, if you're looking for tension and scary, tense moments throughout this film, I mean, they're, they're few and far between. 
But her riding in the car with him, you're just like, holy shit, I'm tense for her because I know that that's him. And I'm just like, man, he's going to fuck her up. And he never does, but it still doesn't take away that the suspense uh, building in that scene was, was really well done. And I forget the term for this, but it's like when the character, like when the audience is aware of something that the characters on screen aren't aware of, like in this instance. I think all the scenes when Jamie's hallucinating, freaking out, like when she's throwing Max on the board, when Michael's in the house with Rachel, or when he's in the car with Tina, like you said, they were done very well, and they were very suspenseful. I mean, especially the way where they positioned Michael in the house with Rachel is super terrifying, because she's backing up, backing up, he's behind her, then you just hear her drop the phone, and you think, oh shit, he done did got her. Or like when they're at the gas station, the police flood there to go try to save Tina. Very, very, uh, very tense moments to be sure. Sure. And, you know, like a lot of the things that I continue to say about any of the sequels, you know, and this goes through even the shittiest ones. I mean, Resurrection, even uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, even, you know, the things that they did well in these movies, they did really well. But the things that they did bad in a lot of these movies, they did really bad. So it's, you know, I think that's probably why Halloween 5 has its fan base and has its haters, obviously. But because there's still so much of that Halloween charm to this movie, even there's there's some silly moments and different things that just are head scratchers. There's still that Halloween charm to it that draws you back in to say there's enough of that element of suspense and the building of that and going through that journey that continues to draw you back in. I, I know that's, you know, like whenever I watch Halloween five, I'm like, you know, it's not as bad as I remember it. You know, it's definitely not, as I've already stated, it's definitely not Halloween four, but it's definitely not a bad entry. Is that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm sure whenever you move on to the late, late, terrible sequels and we have an absolute field day with them, we'll get over this. But, you know, all the, all the tense moments in most of these films where, like, you know, someone's trapped somewhere and you know Michael's lurking around the corner, they always shoot the tension super well and it's always super eerie. Or, like, when Lori's trying to get out in H2 through that little, that, that elevator, that slowest elevator in the world, you know, it's just so much tension. I guess Michael walking like a zombie definitely helps build that suspension because he's getting closer. It's like the shark in general. So close. So close. But he never quite gets you. But it's just all these great tense moments that just scare the shit out of you. Yeah, I even felt like in this movie with um, when uh, Jamie sees him out outside the, um, the hospital, which I thought was a little homage to the Mr. Riddle's backyard scene in Halloween one. I, I really feel that that's, that was a little nod to that, but uh, when she sees him outside and then, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I think Alan Howworth's Howworth's score in this for this scene wasn't very well done. I thought that as far as the music go, this is probably the worst entry. Uh, well, I take that back. H2O and resurrection was pretty bad, but, uh, from the original series, I would say with Howarth involved, this was probably his worst work um, in the franchise. But I don't know that just 
you have a tense moment. I thought him, you know, just getting shots of the boots and her running, trying to hide in the basement, all this stuff. I thought that was all shot extremely well. I just felt like the soundtrack ruined that. So, like, once again, it was a tense moment, and, you know, you're thinking that, man, there's no way he's going to get her, but you're not thinking that it was, like, that that uh, worker wearing the jumpsuit that was going to come down there and save her. Well, you didn't, you didn't think that, but um, I thought that it was a pretty well tense moment. Again, I mean, I know I was tense when I was little watching it, um, but years later, going back and watching it again, it still has that, even though I know what's going to happen, it was still like, wow, that was really well done. Man, they should have changed the fucking soundtrack for that. It just Yeah, especially the, uh, that scene in the basement. You know, I always say in this entire movie, it's got that super high pitch. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Like, it's, it's, it's just terrible. It just felt like Howarth was really bored by this point, and he's like, well, I'll just do the string of the Halloween theme and get all the little nuances in there and call it a day. It's just, the Halloween 5 soundtrack overall, just, I thought it was terrible. I really did. I, I did not like it at all. Did not like the, did not like the stock theme. I, I, and the original cut with him involved in the, in the soundtrack of Halloween six, the, with the stock theme, I didn't like the stock theme in that one either. Now I like the heavy metal stock theme that has never been released to the public in Halloween six, but his original, I, I, I never understood. And he started it in Halloween four and it worked in four just because it was just, it, it was, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it was just, it was, it was more well done where these just feel cheesy and not scary and not, not suspenseful or, or, or tense building, but it's always that dun, 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 and that, that was going in this four, five, and six. Like I said, there was elements of that in part four that worked, but I felt like in this one and in six, uh, at least the original soundtrack for it, was very, very over the top and unnecessary. And it actually was more distracting than it did help, help the scene. And that's one thing I hate. Cause I love that, that, that boiler room chase, because what, what Don Shanks actually said later on is, because you know, Michael is standing out on that lawn and she can see it. So he's actually the one chasing her through there. But at the last second, that other guy in the jumpsuit happens to come down there. And I think if you look very closely, you can see like my, somewhere that was actually um that's actually michael chasing her not not just you know a similar looking figure right let's see what else we got when the police are staked out with jamie and dr loomis um outside of the myers house well we see them out there but a few scenes later we see that Michael's uh, attic full of dead bodies. Why didn't the police find these when they searched the attic before the stakeout? Is kind of, I guess, the question they're asking. I just always assumed that they didn't look up there. Yeah, I don't think they went in the attic. Otherwise, it would have been very hard to miss that, you know. So um, that's the way I always took it: is they just didn't look. Um, another plot hole is a. Uh, 
Tina whispers to her boyfriend, Mike, to pick her up at 8 p.m. at Rachel's house. Um, but Michael shows up later to pick her up. But there was no way he would have known to be there at that time. Yep, I agree. Yeah, this is a good one. Well, I, I'm trying to think back to when she told him that. Because Michael was standing across the street while they were outside of the, of the gas station. Hmm. I'll go back and look at that one now. Um, another one is just like revealing things. It says um, a safety line can be seen attached to John, Don Shanks during the um, on his jumpsuit when uh, he grabs on the net in the river. Hmm. I, 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 never, never, I, never, ha- I never noticed it. Because whenever he tells that story, he says, you know, all he had was to grab onto that net. And if he hadn't, he'd have been fucked. Yeah. And then it says, of course, like all the other ones, um, you know, it's like the trees are full of blooms. You can see flowers. Because, again, they can't shoot these movies in the fall because they're meant to come out in the fall. So I've kind of just learned to live with that. Yeah, I agree. And this says this, and I guess I never noticed because he's wet the entire time, but when he's floating down the river, you can it's, it claims that you can see him wearing like a black uh, life preserver uh, on top of the jumpsuit. Yeah, I never noticed that. I just I just assumed that like with any clothes that it just it's filling up with water, you're getting some air pockets and it's wet and different different I never I never really picked up on that. Hmm. We gotta go back and look at so many of these. Cause this one right here I never noticed. It says when Spitz gets stabbed with the pitchfork, you can see the line in the fake torso is a different color. But I never noticed that. But, but I was always distracted because, you know, they tell the story about that and it says that there was supposed to be blood coming through the front of the pitchfork. But, you know, the the type of foam they used to make that chest, you know, it just wouldn't go through. So they reached out like three times and eventually just kind of, you know, just stuck with it not working. Hmm. I always thought that scene was pretty done well, too. Like, were they mid-coitus when that happened? Um, when the pitchfork happened? Yeah, like, where, where, was there penetration already going on? I know he put the condom on, but... How oh, yeah, dude, she was, she was already into it. Yeah, and he was... If I had to guess, like, he was probably about to blow his load with, uh, with how much she was already moaning and... I don't know. I mean, she, yeah, she was she was full on, full on, like deep moan, like loving it strong uh, when that happened. I'm like, man, if Michael could have just been nice to him, let him pop, and let her let her feel him finish, just just before you killed him, would have been great. I know, right? I mean, you're you're giving her blue balls. Exactly. I mean, I don't think she would have. I don't think she would have nutted anyway. But eleven seconds later. Yeah, I'm just like, come on. Um, this is when Jamie and that cop are upstairs at Michael's old house. Uh, when you look at the window, it's supposed to be dark outside, but then it shows uh, 
like Loomis downstairs talking to Michael and there's sunlight coming through the windows. But yeah, I have actually kind of noticed that. Nope. And see, yeah. So what, what that is, is if this would have been earlier in the franchise or even Halloween four, that light that was coming through would have been tinted blue for like moonlight. But because of the, uh, the French cinematography, they use a lot of pale golds and oranges and yellows and different things. And when you do a scene like that at night, I'm, I'm guessing that it was supposed to replicate the street light that was outside. But I mean, that's a lot of light coming in there. But when you're doing a scene like that at night, when, you're using that as the only source of light. It does look like daylight. I know I've done it before um, because I was trying to replicate a street light coming through a window, and it does. And a lot of people are like, hey, you know, that that looks like sunlight coming through there. I'm like, no, it's supposed to be a street lamp. So I've fallen victim to it. I know that that is a French cinematography style. I do know that. Um, But if they were... Again, going back to his own words, if they were trying to get back to the tone of the original, just throw a light blue gel over that thing just to give the hint that it's moonlight and keep in tone with uh, the rest of the franchise up to that point. And I don't think anybody would have mentioned it. Yeah, that's true. I guess we still have to keep you know a grain of salt with all these. Because again, he was a French filmmaker making a, like an American franchise and movies. Yeah, it's like, you know, whenever whenever something happens and, you know, uh, my friend Tyler Adams does something, you know, Kevin and I used to joke and say, well, he's 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 Canadian, you know. That's the excuse. Um, this one, I never noticed, but it says, and I'm pretty sure this one's actually wrong. It says when Jamie's upstairs and finds Rachel's body, she then hides in the coffin um, and then when he chases her later, like she runs past where Rachel's body was and then it's not there. I don't know. I always no, I'm there. I know when he comes up the stairs, her body's still there, but I have to go back and look when she runs back down the stairs, it's still there. Ms. Ellie Cornell was flown out there to only do like literally just that shot. She did the opening and then just that. And that was all she was in the movie. So maybe they didn't shoot that sequence where Jamie's running down. Uh, another audio thing right after um, Tina gets stabbed, which is probably one of my favorite kills in the franchise. That shit was like gory and bloody and very graphic. Um, shows uh, Jamie yelling Tina several times where she it, her lips aren't actually moving. Oh, yeah, this one's always been pretty funny to me. When Jamie's in the attic and she can see like Max the dog, his like, head hanging from the, the ceiling, it's so obviously a stuffed animal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They didn't have to put the disclaimer that no dogs were harmed in the making of this film on that. Um, And then uh, Jamie says, Rachel, help me. Uh, Well, she says, Rachel, help me, but she actually just says, help me. You know, again, just audio, you know, just after shooting, dubbing mistakes. Um, This one... I don't know if this is a mistake. It says when she's, when Tina gets stabbed, you see the knife bending. I don't know if that's the knife bending or no. just like 
it's just going in at a weird angle. Like, yeah, I mean, we get it. He stabbed her. I mean, that's pretty hard. It could have just ricocheted off some bone. Yeah, like, what I always took it as is he initially stabbed her, and now he's trying to work it in. That's what I always took it as. I, I never thought it was, like, well, the knife's bending. Um, no, I don't know if this is a movie mistake, but it says you can see, like, the black netting over the eyes of the mask when he looks up the laundry chute. I don't know if that's so much of a mistake, because it was, I mean, it was there the whole time. I don't know if they were necessarily trying to hide it. No, they definitely weren't. When Jamie's lying in the casket, the same picture of her that Michael broke with the glass and got blood on is there, but there's no crack and no blood on it. I simply went to the dollar store and got a new frame. I know, I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble to dig up a, a little girl's casket and desecrate a grave and get it ready for your niece, you're going to at least make it look nice. Yep, I agree. And it says that Michael is not bloody or beaten up after, you know, being shot up by the police when he gets to the old man's house. And then it says um, when Sam's fighting Michael inside the barn, there's like a little paint on her face that disappears and reappears between shots. Eh, I mean, could have got wiped off. Who knows? It was skeet. Skeet, skeet, skeet. <laughs> I mean, Spitz is already dead, but if he wasn't dead, he might need to go to the hospital and get that checked out. Well, the director is French. That's kind of legal over in that country. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, my God. That's nasty. We need a cum shot. I will be the stunt cock. Hashtag dick sock. That's right. Um... Another thing is uh, just, you know, all the various scenes and outtakes that were redone. So, like, the man in black, how there's, like, legit no explanation for him. And they literally, like, the whole plan for the entire movie was, oh, we'll just explain it in the next movie. Well. Which is kind of lazily written. They did. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they sure damn did. I I have to say, I mean, for as much shit as Halloween 6 gets... I, I give Daniel credits, Daniel Farrens a lot of credit for trying to fix the mess that was created in this film. Yeah, he was literally left with a burning dumpster fire of yeah. a sequel, and then had to go and you know make a movie out of it, and then you know you had all of the fucking you know all of the the new line and all that shit coming down. Them, I and you'll cover that with Brandon and all that. But oh, that poor bastard. Yep. And then, you know, because uh, they found uh, the, the, all this missing H5 footage that they've been looking for for forever. So maybe we'll get to see that um, alternate opening of, like, Michael being on an altar. Because, you know, you can see bits and pieces of it in the movie where he, like, picks up this rock and smashes it on the old guy. That's actually from, you know, the original opening where he's on this altar with this big spinning rock thingy. And they summon him back to life and all this voodoo magic and shit. And they put, and that's where the, he gets the, the thorn tattoo. Which would have made, honestly, that it, it would have made a, probably wouldn't have made the movie better. It would have explained a lot. Yeah. But I don't know if it was in there. That might have made six a little more convoluted than it was. Um, I don't know. It may it may have made six a little bit easier to watch and understand because you're already setting that up in five and properly setting it up so that you know exactly what we're dealing with in six. So who knows? I mean, but, which makes hey. me wonder if they had you know because he has that tattoo on his wrist. 
and they supposedly have been contacting him since he was six years old. When did he get the tattoo? Did they wait till he was 18? Did they ask his parents? Probably. Probably. But, hey, at least in the theatrical cut, we got the we got Tookie, the, the, the freaking parrot. I always liked that parrot. He was kind of cute. Yeah. I wonder if Michael ate him. Had some chicken wings. <laughs> I wonder what parrot, what parrot tastes like. Which makes me wonder, you know, like all these times that Michael's laying comatose, like what was this old dude doing with him? For like that whole year, it was like did he just lay on that slab breathing the whole time? He did this guy just not wondering like, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of sobbing going on. Him and that bird were doing some weird shit. Yeah, but I just wonder, like, what what does he do with this guy? Like, he's alive, but he's just like in a coma for a year. Like, you don't. T-bagging. I know you're like a human. <laughs> you teabagging son of a bitch. Hey man, you're all Herman. You got to find something to do with your time. You got to get, get that whistle wet. That's right. You can't just go out and stick it in the river out there. I just wonder, like, you never just take this guy to a hospital and then suddenly he just wakes up after a year. And I was like, Michael, you're a dick. Like, this dude's been keeping you alive for a year. He just fucking killed him. Like, just, it's fucked up, bro. Fuck it. Even you, kept you, 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 you only, you only came up here with multiple gunshot wounds, and ah, eh, fuck it, just lay here for a year. You just came in this man's home. He fed you. I'm sure he washed your jumpsuit a couple times. I was good to you, Mikey. Ah, uh, poor Danny Trejo. Yeah. I guess it's things like that, though. That like when like a, like a character's good to Michael for the whole movie, and then he just fucking rips their goddamn jaw off or some shit. Makes him seem even more sinister and heartless. Yep. But then it makes me wonder why he didn't, uh, why didn't he just, like, kill that little kid that was being, uh, being mean to Tommy Doyle? Yeah. I'd, I'd have killed that kid. Me too. Not like that kid in 2018. He, that, that made me cringe, but I'd, I'd have killed the shit out of, out of Lonnie and all those little motherfuckers. Well, that's about all the movie mistakes I can find, other than things like at the end with the clusterfuck of like the whole um, of the sheriff's office being raided. You know, I kind of find it hard to believe that one dude with a Tommy gun was able to take out an entire police station, and the fact that they killed Sheriff Meeker, and only in like certain cuts are you able actually to definitively see his body. Yeah, like I was saying last week, and in, in the original VHS release. He was absolutely 100% there, clear as day. But uh, in the later re-releases in the DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff, not there. Makes me, I want, I want, to help, I want him to go down to Florida and retire too, like, like Charles Cyphers. Maybe he did. <laughs> oh, ben Miku was like, one of, he was definitely... One of the good things about five, you know, one of the returning characters, is he did such a good job in four. Yeah, like I said, it was just he was that uh, like if Loomis was going to not be a part of the franchise, you're like, well, at least we got Meeker, you know. 
And can't um, outact a bad plot. Yeah, let's. Uh, you know, off of the movie mistakes, you know, like we haven't talked about some of the key things um, in the film, and I, I still wish that they did not replace Rachel, um, and that they would have kept her kept her in because I thought that the chemistry between Jamie and Rachel from Part Four was the driving force in that movie, and. Essentially, when you get to five, they essentially they they try to recreate that chemistry of Rachel and Jamie with Tina and Jamie, and it's like, why didn't you just do it with Rachel? She was already there, you know. You you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's one thing Ellie Cornell always talked about in that movie is like like she knew she was going to eat it in the beginning of the movie, and originally she was supposed to get that parasitic life. Down her throat. Yeah. I see no, I didn't see any issue with her like returning because if anything, previous films have shown when you bring back an established character or, or if you're at least going to have her die, have it be in like, in like the way Tina die, like fighting this motherfucker, like at the end of the movie. Yeah. And that, that was the other thing too, that just drove me absolutely bonkers was that she was such a smart character in four and I'm sorry, but Rachel's fucking dumb in five. And it's like, how can you be this naive and this stupid after what you went through and how brave and how smart you were just a year ago? Yeah, I expect her to like learn some fucking judo, have a gun, you know, check your closets, lock all your fucking doors. It just it it, it definitely was not um definitely was not written very well uh her character in five it's like okay she's gonna die i I've, I've come to terms with that but like like we've already established let, let her let her go out as a hero towards the end and again i think that a lot of halloween five's flaws were just not paying attention to basic storytelling and it's like, yeah, I mean, you could have given Rachel a love interest and made Mike her love interest and just given her all of Tina's scenes, like where she's trying to move on with her life, because we never really got to see her have her own life in four. This would have been an extension of that and given her somewhat of a her own freedom in life and different things and then just replace Tina altogether with, um, you know... Could have been, you know, uh, what was what was the blonde chick's name? Um, Sam. Sam, thank you. Gosh, I was. So you could have had all her scenes with Sam, and you know, maybe rearrange some dialogue here and there, or hell, keep Tina in the movie and just have her take the Rachel spot, you know, and have her get killed off towards the beginning. You know, it it just. I don't know. I, I I wasn't there for a lot of those negotiations and different things that they could work something out. I wasn't part of that. But I, I just... How do you walk into taking over a movie and the best part of the previous entry was the connection between Rachel and Jamie 
and now you're just going to eliminate it to put in an, a very annoying character. Made no yeah, sense and I feel like, like all the shit that Tina was doing was saying, like sent time out, you know, her and Spitz are going to do it for the first time and all that, or like Rachel struggling to find love after like Brady's fucking death or whatever. I feel like you could have inserted Rachel into all the shit that Sam was doing, and it would have been just the fucking same. If not better. Yeah. And the one thing this movie definitely got right is the casting was definitely great. You could tell, like, you know, because they did that whole behind-the-scenes thing where, like, they were all at that hotel party, and so they definitely all were good friends and got along well and definitely had chemistry. Again, you can you just can't out-act a bad movie. And again, I don't, I just, I've never, I would never understand why they bring in a French director, like, out of nowhere. Like, what were his credentials? Because I'm pretty sure he had never shot in a horror movie before. I just, uh, you know, and, and I hate to bash a dead guy, you know, but Mustafa Akkad, like, people say he was the grandfather and all that. Most of the dumb shit in all of these movies was kind of his fault. Yeah, and... I gotta be careful how I say this because you know I, I am, I don't want to say good close friends with them, but you know there is a professional respect and stuff that I had opportunities with the franchise, and I don't ever want to castrate myself here. But um, the same can be said for Malik because like I like Malik, I like Malik a lot on on a personal level, but you can tell that going into even some of the newer parts of the franchise since he's taken over, it's it's more mainstream driven and not story driven. It's like, hey, how can we how can we cash this in as fast as we can um with this name? And it just I'm not sure if you're picking up on, on, on what I'm putting out there, but I mean you could t- definitely tell with Rob Z- both Rob Zombie films that I mean those didn't even feel like Halloween at all. Um and a lot of a lot of things can be said that way about the new film too. I didn't feel like it felt like Halloween at all. It felt like a a modern a modern horror film that was done for the masses that just happens to have this old storyline attached to it. Um, I don't know. Whereas these entries, while yes, some of them suffer from sequelitis, and there's some some really stupid shit in some of them. There's still that how again going back to what I was saying earlier that Halloween charm. There's still that Halloween charm for it, that it was done for the fans first, but we're gonna try to pull in new audiences from this franchise at the same time. Does it? Does that make sense? Yeah, and it is. It's just kind of confusing to me because you know Mustafa said after three you wanted to get back to basics, and that's exactly what four did and why it was so successful. So why would you then go and take another huge risk? and bring in this foreign filmmaker. And, you know, and I think that's another thing that all these, all these slasher, you know, franchises know is they don't know when to quit. Like I would have been fine with them stopping at four or five or six or even H2O, but they just don't know when to stop. Like I get, like you don't want to definitively kill him off, but you don't have to, but that doesn't mean you have to keep making more movies. And like, I get it. You want to, you want to cap, you know, cash in on that success, but like these, this is the only time where in any part of this franchise where two movies come out back to back and it shows how much it suffers when you do that. Oh yeah, for sure. And, um, to answer your question about, about why would he bring him in? Um, I do know that 
there was a lot of foreign films that Dominique Othon and Gerard did. And if you remember, Mustafa Akkad was a foreign filmmaker. So there was a lot of connection through that that even got him in the conversation. So I think he fell in love with his style and you know the the foreign films that he had done up to that point. So for him, it was like, wow, he's a very talented director. Um, I love all th- all this work. I would love to see what he would do with Michael Myers. So I think that's kind of probably what happened. Again, he's not here to answer it, so I'm just speculating. But you know, from all the interviews and research I've done on that, that seems the most plausible to me. Yeah, at the end, it's still a film I enjoy, and I and I watch it every year. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it just suffers from sequelized a lot, like Friday, Nightmare, all these other movies. But I think I think it's it's better than it is worse, and it's a, it's about I'd say middle of the road as far as like the franchise itself. It's it's not great. It's not bad. But it's 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 I. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've said, it's definitely it's it's definitely not the worst. You there? And again, my war perspective of you know seeing it at a young age, so it was sort of my baseline for the sequels, which I think just made the good ones better and the worst ones worse. Yep. Um, now, when you first saw this film, what did you think happened to Loomis at the end? I don't know, because originally in the script, um, you know, and it's not really, you know, mentioned per se, but that was supposed to be the death of Loomis. Like in the script, I believe uh, he was supposed to have, like had a stroke at that moment and died as he's beating Michael with the two by four and he actually broke Don Shanks nose in the process of doing that. But that was supposed to be like, he falls on top of Michael and that's why his eyes kind of get wide and the breathing slows down. He's supposed to have like had a stroke in that moment. So when I see that as a kid, I never thought anything of it. I just assumed he was still alive. But looking back, if I were to watch that film for the first time now, I probably would have assumed he was dead because you don't see him again later on like they do in H4, where you think he might have been dead, and then they bring him back at the end of the movie. And that's the last time you see him. Yeah, I... When I watched it for the first time, I uh, I never... I never assumed that he was dead. I, I assumed that he's a 70-year-old man, just been wailing away on him, and he's just... He's winded, and he's tired, and he fell down on top of him, and... You know he'll 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 be back if he can live through an explosion uh, that he literally would have been blown to pieces with. Uh, he'll be back, but it was always kind of confusing to me because I was just like I don't know what they were meaning for this. I don't know what the point of it was. I didn't think they, that that they even needed to have him stroke out basically. Um, I think they could have just had him beat the shit out of him, knock him out, maybe him fall against the wall and then slide down and like just sit there like winded, and then 
the police lights start, you start seeing the police lights just like normal, and then, well, the police are going to handle this from here on in, and that's the last that we see of Loomis. Still would have done the same thing. Um, I think if you're trying to do like a heart attack or stroke angle with that, you're you're really, you're running the risk of limiting your character for the next sequel, I guess you could say. Yeah, and again, they never blatantly mention what happens to, like, it's just kind of, you know, you assume, you know, they definitely left the ending open to another sequel, so I guess you just assume this is going to be back. And I guess, you know, Mustafa never wanted to write anything definitively. You don't say he's dead, you know. But I don't know, it just kind of seemed odd how they threw that in there. Yep, agreed. Um, now, I lightly mentioned this last week, I'm going to bring it up again uh, for those that missed it. Uh, Rachel's bush is clearly seen when she's in the shower. Well, the mistake I I saw said that she was clearly wearing white underwear in that scene. No, she but was I not. Never <laughs> if it was uh, if it was white underwear, uh, she definitely had. Uh, a black patch or a dark brown patch uh, over her, the JJ. It's there, believe me. I, uh, I discovered I was a man watching that scene when I was little. Well, we see what side of the fence you were born on. That's right. <laughs> I have a lifetime contract to to the other team, so... I'm like uh, I'm like Rob Reiner in Wolf of Wall Street. I, 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 I was except I was born during the right period of time. Yeah, for sure. What else you got, that's man? Anything? No, that was that was about it. Other than the, you know, just the, the the convoluted man in black. And I've always wondered who else they had to play that character. Because Don Shank said sometimes it was him, sometimes it was not. I've always wondered who was the other person they had to stand in for that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I definitely found it intriguing. You uh, you notice he kicks that fucking dog when he gets off the bus outside of the drugstore. <laughs> I used to back that up like a hundred times and maybe call me sadistic or whatever. But I was I always laughed my ass off at that. Not because I I laughed that the dog got kicked. I mean, obviously, I think man, that's 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 a shit thing, you know, poor dog. But it's just like the like the noise that they use was hilarious. <laughs> it, it just. I mean, it sounded like the dog got punted out in the left field. You know, it's like, it was like a little boop. And the dog's like, Bruh! you know, and it's like, damn. <laughs> I was like, that was rough, man. I never noticed it until going back. But yeah, he just fucking kicked that damn dog. Yeah. Yeah. The Halloween friends are the mean to dogs. Especially like German Shepherds and big dogs and shit. All right. Well, anything else that you want to add that you notice from the film or anything that you want to, that you got going on that you want people to hear? Um, all the same information about me and my Facebook group from the last, uh, from the last episode, but I do have an Instagram now, the cutting room for DC, um, sort of my like business page for Hawks. Now it's still in the works. I've got some logos, um, under under design at the moment so it, it's definitely a work in progress but it's there if anyone wants to see it i also will share 
like masks from the horror group on there. You know, I, I, I do have a personal Instagram, but I've, I've only done like two things on it since I made it probably just going to delete it. And, uh, anything coming up with your podcast on YouTube? I think I know we talked about it last week, but have you lined up any guests yet? And when's the next episode going to drop? Yeah, I really don't know. As all the people I'm trying to get on have like scheduling conflicts, so I think I might just start diving into Friday the 13th movie mistakes. Um, Brandon's uh, told me he's willing to do those with me, so I might try to get the first one of those off the ground lately whenever he's got some time. But as far as guests, I'm just going to have to start uh, maybe looking towards some other artists. Um, I want to have uh, Rob on there when he gets his new H1 done. Love to have uh, Jimmy Falco on at some point. Um, just try to get some more people on there. I started uh, branching out because I've been waiting on some of these guys. And, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen. So, All right. Well, on that note, um, next week, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be doing Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. If you want to uh, go buy yourself a little swag uh, to help support the show and keep this thing ad-free and sponsor-free, um, you could do that by going over to tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash chrism1229. You can find us on Facebook if you go and uh, go up to search Halloween Unleash the Podcast. And once you find Halloween Unleashed the Podcast, you click join. Uh, we do not accept any members that are named uh, Charles Lee Ray, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, uh, Ghostface. Michael Myers, you know, obvious bullshit accounts. Uh, but pretty much anybody else, uh, unless you're a straight-up cocksucker, uh, well, not literally. I mean, if you're gay, that's fine. We, we, we let you in, too. It's not, not that. But if you're a dickhead, if you're an asshole, if you're a known troublemaker that we can spot from a mile away and we know you, we don't let you in. Pretty much everybody else, we let in. So um, that's, that's the rule of life. Don't be a dick. And uh, you get accepted. So, um, Dylan, I, I appreciate you coming on these last two weeks, man. And I'm going to catch back up with my buddy Brandon the next two weeks. And uh, I, I don't have anything lined up for Halloween H2O or Halloween Resurrection. Um, not sure how you feel about those movies, but if you want to cover them, you're more than welcome to jump on with them. Oh, I'd love to. Uh... Again, watched them when I was young, so I like them probably a little more than the average person. But I'd love to take a take a good old baseball bat to some of those movies, especially H two O, because that's a that movie's plus the stuff. So we will cover that at some. All right. Well, in, in that case, we're going to let you get on out of here. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch everybody next week. <laughs>